1: Do your lawn care. Visit Truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
0: If you're
2: shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten
0: shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back, and you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Fenty Beauty, and Expedia, and even stack sales on top of cashback, it's easy to use
2: and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cashback. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal, or go to Rakuten.com to start getting
0: the most bang for your buck. That's R A K U T E N. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the resort at Pelican Hill. It's actually located between Newport Beach and Laguna Beach. Uh, 504 acres. This place—it's—it's it's wild to talk about a room with a view. My next guest, an old pal of mine. Uh, in fact, four years ago when we did the show, we—we we had a chance to sat sit and sit and and talk. He's actually been in Southern California for 35 years. Came here in 1980, and then and then basically was part of the opening team of the flagship hotel not too far from here, the Ritz Carlton in Laguna. And now he's here at the Pelican Hill as the executive chef, Jean-Pierre Debray. How are you, sir?
3: Very good. Thank you. Nice you, to see you again.
0: You know, when we when we saw each other, it really was four years ago, talking about this hotel, which had been recently opened at that point, I mean, more or less. Yes. You know, the whole farm-to-table movement was just something people were talking about uh, or they they thought it was something they understood, right? That's all changed now, hasn't it?
3: It changed and it keeps evolving. So uh, which that's what's so interesting is because we we continue to uh, to find some new farmers. We continue to work with people that uh, do different things when it comes to produce, uh, meat, and uh, uh, even farm eggs now. So they, it's it's always exciting to. To continue the, this trend, if I can call it a trend, but uh, it's it's, well, it's fantastic. Also, but
0: it's also, when you think about it, somewhat of a misused term by so many people. They all said farm to table. Yeah, and then you say, okay, name the farms and name the farmer, and they can't. You can.
3: Well, I can, because we are, at uh, with the Irvine Company, we have a lot of land, and a lot of land... That is still farming. So uh, I have uh, certain farmers that I, uh, matter of fact, this morning I went to, uh, to to see my farmer and then we just talked about uh, some new produce that uh, are coming I like, up. I
0: like I, like, I went to see my farmer. <laughs> my farmer. And what was he growing for you today?
3: Well, we uh, we are still looking in, of uh, all of the different uh, root vegetable, uh, the beets, uh, the beautiful chard, uh, uh some uh, bok choy even some uh, rutabaga kohlrabi so this is and and they are so spicy right now so beautiful vibrant colors and it was just exciting to to be in the in the field this morning
0: now since you've got all that land do you ever take the guests out so they can see the farms
3: well we are actually um now that there is a different uh, plot of land that uh, they are working with this is my next step where i'm going to be able to take some guests eventually and then uh uh, maybe do a little lunch with things that we can get from the from the field. See, I'm always a
0: big believer that if you can understand the process, then you really value the product.
3: Absolutely. Well, I, I grew up in this kind of uh, situation. So, uh, you know, when you grew up that way, for me, it's like going back in my childhood.
0: You mentioned farm eggs. Yes. That's different now.
3: Well, because of the, uh, obviously in California, all of the, the chicken need to be cage-free or they need to have a uh, space. Uh, so um, we have to, basically change a little bit, and uh, we are definitely going that direction.
0: You know, when I hear terms like free-range, what do I do, go to the restaurant and ask for the imprisoned chicken? <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, what's the what's the alternative to it? You want free-range.
3: Right, absolutely. I mean, that should have been done in a way a long time ago because, you know, you want, uh, the more the animals have a chance to, to move around and then uh, eat uh, the grains from the ground or the grass or whatever, you're going to have
0: better results. Now let's talk about the politically incorrect subject of foie gras. Oh. Yeah, that one. I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> you knew I had go to go there. I mean, especially with you because you love it. Well, I love
3: foie gras and yeah. also, you know, the the guests love foie gras. So we have many many guests that uh, for uh, several years they, they 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 had to, you know, go somewhere else, you know, out of state, but uh, now it's back and uh, we don't have it on the menu right now p- permanently, but uh, if for special we do it for special. Like for Valentine, we did
0: a little dish with foie gras. See? Well, I have to tell you, I haven't had a piece of meat since November of 2008. I'm, I'm a pescatarian, but I have to make an admission on my own show. I do make an exception for foie gras. It's a pretty nice, uh, uh, nice liver, for sure. It's nice. So I always ask you this, and I'll do it again. What's the one menu item that you have on your menu now that you thought nobody would ever order, but they do? And what's the one menu on your item now you thought everybody's going to order and they don't?
3: Well, we had uh, we have a, uh, a dish in the Coliseum. It's a, a, a Thai fettuccine, and at first I thought, you know, we are more an Italian restaurant. Guests, will uh, maybe said, "Why Thai?" You know, but uh, the dish is fantastic, and people really embraced it from the first week that we put it on the menu. Right, so and we had to
0: keep it. It's on the menu. What's now off the menu, or or just departing as we speak?
3: There might be several dishes, but uh, it, it what uh, I'm. Come to my mind, it's more like a service type of uh, a situation with food. Um, we tried to do a uh, um, uh, uh, plate it, uh, plate it during uh, uh, our festa with uh, more like a hand carry, and then uh, we
0: didn't. Uh, it didn't go so well, so we stopped that. Jean Pierre Dubray, I'll come back when we have more foie gras from the Pelican Hill Resort. Back with more of Peter Greenberg Worldwide, right after this. <laughs>
4: We have clearance, Clarence.
5: Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor?
0: Howard Radio, clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. Huh? Right. This weekend being a, somewhat a somber anniversary, the one-year anniversary of the disappearance of Malaysia Flight 370, uh, with the loss of all aboard, presumably. And isn't it interesting, fascinating, and somewhat frightening that in the last 365 days, not a single shred of, of, of physical evidence, nothing, has been found. And yet the search continues. If you watch CBS the, this morning, this week, you saw my piece on the technology advances that have happened in the last year that have not yet been applied, by the way, to allow for continual tracking, both voice and data, uh, of all airplanes in the sky over many, many dead zones that people don't realize. And... Uh, It's one of those things that uh, is always the obstacle of money and who wants to pay for it. But the point is, I can't get in a Hertz car without them knowing where I'm going. Why can't we track planes? And the answer is, of course we can. And the question is just who wants to pay for it. Uh, So if you don't have a chance, if you didn't have a chance to see the piece, of course, it's online at cbsnews.com. And you can also find it on our website, uh, petergreenberg.com. Joining me now, uh, many of you know I'm a fireman in New York. I've been a fireman since I'm 18, volunteer, by the way. Uh, joining me now is someone who's not a volunteer. He is the he was the deputy fire chief for L.A. County for 29 years and is now the, the actual fire chief of Newport Beach, California, the Newport Beach Fire Department, Scott Poster. Man, have, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: You know, when people think of California, especially at this time of the year, they just think we're at the beach and we're having fun, and they don't realize that California is going through a serious drought, It hasn't gone away, which, of course, is a big challenge to anybody in the fire department because, you know, limited resources. Uh, They don't realize that uh, your coverage, your mandate is not just protecting lives and property in the traditional sense. You also control the coast.
4: We do. We have the beach, Newport Beach, the beautiful destination spot. But this resort you're sitting in right here is in the middle of a wildland area. So you can see the ocean and we have a wildland just to the west of you is a canyon that in this drought with the low fuel moistures does present a hazard to this area.
0: So people have to be especially vigilant, and you guys have to move even faster. We do. Now, I'm I'm, I'm assuming you guys have your attack trucks with a little bit of water on board so you can get out there as fast as you can if you get there soon enough.
4: We do. We've got fire stations all around this area with water in the vehicles to uh, attack a fire at a moment's notice.
0: My fire department, I'm on an island. We have other challenges. We don't have great water pressure. Uh, we're the only vehicles on the Island. Everything else is boats. So we're specially equipped fire trucks that you've never seen before with under under inflated oversized tires. And, and we're essentially large Jeeps. Uh, we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of straining. We do a lot of uh, drafting, uh, from the Bay because we don't, we can't always depend on the pressure.
4: I know one thing though, if you're on an Island, you've got a good water supply.
0: Yes, but you can't drain from, you can't draft from the ocean. It's difficult. You have to pump. Yeah, because it'll, the, the, the sand will completely destroy your impellers, and you're finished. Uh, what's your biggest challenge here?
4: Our biggest challenge uh, for, is to protect the community and the beaches. We see millions of people on our beach every year. Our lifeguards are just fabulous for protecting the visitors on our beach. But from a fire position, from a structural prevention, and from suppression aspects, you're in the middle of a brush area. So we have just recently, within the last 15 years, we had a fire coming up the coast from Laguna Beach towards this resort. It wasn't here at the time, but this resort. But you knew
0: about it, boy.
4: We knew about it. And matter of fact, you can see it in the literature as where that fire was coming straight at us here from Laguna. We made a tremendous stop right at Newport Coast Drive, which is very close to where you're sitting today. That's that's where you drew the line. Right. In in Newport Beach, we also have a high-rise hazard. And then they call it um, Wall Street West. The whole Newport Center has got a number of high-rises that have just simply popped up, which do present a fire suppression issue. But we do put fire protection inside those structures. Sure,
0: But I'm one of those guys, and we, we mentioned high-rises. I tell people, if you want to stay at a hotel, you know what, I'm not a high-rise kind of guy. Get me below the 8th floor and 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 above the 1st floor. So you're protected in the crime area above the 1st floor, and you're protected for fire but below the 8th floor because, as you know, Chief above the 8th floor you got real challenges.
4: You know right. just like in Dubai not too long ago it was quite interesting to see that fire. Yeah, and
0: they couldn't they they couldn't control it. It was an exterior fire, it was very tough. I know. And I tell people, you want a room on the top floor of a hotel, great. You'll have a room with a view of the fire department not always being able to reach you. <laughs>
4: That's correct. That is absolutely true.
0: So, I'm glad you confirmed that. Uh our fire challenges are different. We have to do surround and drown and protect. We do like triage. You know, We have to basically protect the homes around the one that's involved as long as we determine there's no life endangered because we can't always save the house.
4: Right, we call that exposure protection here. But we like to get to the house quickly and get the people out and then protect the exposures as well as the home itself.
0: Exactly. I always tell people if you're in a hotel, no matter what room you're in, whatever, whatever floor you're in, and the alarm goes off, that fire alarm goes off, I ask people, what's the first thing you do? And they always give me the wrong answer. They always give me the wrong answer. They go, "Oh, I stand up and make a phone call." No, you don't. No, roll out of bed to the carpet. The first thing you
4: do, yeah, absolutely, you want to exit the structure as soon as it's safe.
0: Yeah, but you want because of toxic smoke. If there is indeed a fire, it's not the fire that's going to get you all the time. It could be this. It could be the toxic t- so smoke. So
4: true. Look at South America. Look at Las Vegas. Those fires. It was the toxic smoke or the products of combustion where those people were injured and died.
0: Yeah, you know, potassium cyanide. It was just the worst. So drop to the floor, crawl to the door, put your hand on the door to see if it's hot. That's the first thing you're going to do. Absolutely. Right. And then, what's the second thing you're going to do?
4: You're going to get out. You're yeah. going to get out of the in a. Actually, when you check into a hotel, you should pre-plan your exit. Count the
0: number of exits. I mean, count the look number of doors, at your exits
4: or... when you come in. Look at your door. On your door in California, there's going to be an exit plan. You want to leave according to that exit plan. Look at the exit plan before you go discuss it with your kids. If you're having a family resort, make sure your kids know exactly what to do. So when that alarm goes off or whatever happens, you have a plan to get out and meet someplace outside destruction.
0: And it doesn't involve the elevator. That's correct. Because the elevators are programmed in many cases to just automatically return to the first floor anyway. But you don't want to be in a, in a in an elevator that, that, that where, the, where the buttons are related to the heat of your finger.
4: Oftentimes here in California, they respond to the second floor because a lot of fires start on the first floor. Yeah. So that... Elevator actually automatic recalls down to the second floor which is inter- interesting because it's just wow. the safest place.
0: Didn't see? I've learned something from the
4: chief.
3: Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel.
4: Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go.
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Uh, coming up on the 10th anniversary, I mean, talk about feeling old, of Hurricane Katrina back to 2005. Where were you then? I know where I was. I was there covering it. Um, and, uh, I'm also a fireman in New York. So getting down there was, uh, a, a, an eye opener for me because I'd never seen something like that. I, I, we weren't even prepared for what we had to see. Uh, but th- the wildest thing is it's 10 years later and New Orleans is back. Uh, the state is back. If you take a look at all the other places that were affected, even the, the coastal areas of Mississippi, they're back. Um, and joining me now, someone who, uh, has been part of that recovery and, and is continuing to be a part of that. The lieutenant governor of the state of Louisiana, Jay Darden, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Peter. So how are things in Baton
1: Rouge? Oh, They're good. They're good. We've got some budget challenges like a lot of folks have, but uh, things are great in Louisiana
0: right now. Uh, I used to cover Louisiana for Newsweek uh, when I was based in in Houston. And uh, to me, it was, it was an eye-opener for me because I'm a New York City boy. So my first assignment at Newsweek is to cover Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Arkansas. I had a beard and I drove a VW bus. I'll let you finish that sentence. But you know what? Those were fun times. And I still remember going on the USS Kid. Am I right? Right. Still Zaps. There. Still there. Zaps?
1: Zaps is still there. It's founder passed away a couple of years ago, but the potato chips are still on the market. Okay. But the place I
0: always hung out at in, in, in Baton Rouge, Frost Top.
1: Yep. Still there. Still there. Oh, yeah. It's right around the corner from uh, my law office, as a matter of fact. Really? Yep. Still good root beer? Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> they make it every day. People, if you don't know about Frost Top, there was a movie that was made with John Goodman years ago called Everybody's, Everybody's All American, American, and that was in the movie. Yes, it was. And I saw. It. I love it. Yeah. They
1: actually covered up the mug of root beer, changed the name of Frost Top because they didn't want it to be Frost Top. Uh, but uh, you can. <laughs> but we knew anybody. But from we knew
0: who's been there will recognize it. So, when you think about the turnaround uh, in the last ten years nothing short of remarkable considering the damage that was done.
1: So many people had written off New Orleans and written off Louisiana after the level of devastation that, that people all over the world could see. What they didn't count on, what they underestimated, was the resilience of the Louisiana people. We, back in 1927, the flood of 1927 drenched uh, most of Louisiana, but Louisiana came back strong after that. And uh, it's just in our nature. And, and it's a remarkable recovery. It really is. When you look at New Orleans today, a decade later, and see the Uh, improvement that's been made, the young people who are moving into the city, the explosion of the creative arts. This was already a haven for the creative arts, but to see it now expanding with motion picture industry uh, relocating in many respects to Louisiana. It's just been a a great time for for us to look at ourselves and see where we want to be. Well, part of that recovery in terms of motion picture are tax incentives, right? That's right.
0: That's right. What kind of tax incentives are you offering?
1: Generous ones. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I authored the legislation that created them about a decade ago when I was in the state senate. And at the time, we hoped we would be creating a new industry for Louisiana. And it took about 10 years, but we really have. We've, we've uh, More feature films were made in Louisiana last year than anywhere in North America. Like? Like uh, the movies. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oblivion um, is one. Uh, Fantastic Four was filmed in Baton Rouge. The uh, Benjamin Button movie was filmed in New Orleans right oh, well, after. Well, we
0: love Benjamin Button.
1: It was a, it was a yeah. great story that really captured—that that movie, more than anything, I think, captured a, a beautiful look at New Orleans post-Katrina, and that's what it was. It was a
0: tribute to New Orleans in many respects. And made by someone who lives there, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Mr. Pitt. Yeah. What about the private sector now? You talk about the recovery, and, you know, government has a role to play— both state and federal. But where, where was the private sector in this recovery?
1: Well, it was huge. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the storm, I really think the the faith community played as big a role as anything in sheltering people and, and responding. Uh, the private sector obviously has been greatly involved in the rebuilding, and the private sector had to make a commitment to New Orleans in, in so many respects. The tourism industry... Uh, bounce back sooner than most uh, although they had a problem in the service industry getting getting folks back to new orleans but tremendous level of commitment and investment by people within and without louisiana who believed in the new orleans area and believed in the whole state we're we're on the cusp of an industrial explosion right now in louisiana uh, primarily because of natural gas been found in louisiana relatively low prices and and uh a marketplace in Europe that didn't exist previously for liquefied natural gas, and so we've got the base commodity, and we're we're sending it out of uh, the country.
0: All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot. We know about New Orleans, we know about Plantation Alley, we we know about, of course, Baton Rouge. Tell me something about Louisiana, a destination or an experience that is not on everybody's radar.
1: In uh, April of 1930, the National Geographic magazine had a, an entire feature on the state of Louisiana. It was called. Louisiana land of perpetual romance and I think that (laughs) captures Louisiana beautifully and a a romantic place a greatly romantic place I think is Natchitoches Louisiana the oldest community west of the Mississippi uh, the first community in the Louisiana Purchase in America and Natchitoches is a beautiful picturesque romantic place uh, that just celebrated its 300th anniversary St. Francisville in the southern part of the state you mentioned plantation country home to many of the plantations but a, a very relaxed Uh, Lifestyle that is enjoyed 20, 25 minutes from Baton Rouge. Uh, Those are two great places. The way I would really answer your question is, when you covered those four states initially in the South, none was like Louisiana. There is no place like Louisiana in America. It's a unique place with this combination of cultures, this human gumbo that you find
0: in Louisiana that you don't find anywhere else. And the way I I, I come to Louisiana every once in a while, and, and I keep telling people they need to do this, and is, is on Amtrak. And here's how I do it. I take the Southern Crescent. The Southern Crescent starts actually in New York, but it really starts in Washington, DC. and it just heads south and it stops all along the places that you may have read about when you're in high school or maybe seen on television, but never have experienced, especially in places like Mississippi. Yep. you know and, and it, when the, and this is not to deter or to detract from the, the cuisine of Louisiana. but when the train stops in Meridian, Mississippi, do you know it stops for an additional 14 minutes? Do you know why? No, I do. Because the conductors know that there's a place that makes pie there. (laughs) And they all run off the train, right? And they buy seven of these pies. And between the time that they get back on the train, the train leaves the state, pie's gone.
1: Well, we'd have, we have a little place in Louisiana, the central part of the state, LeCount, Louisiana, called Lee's, that makes about 65,000 pies a year. And you would do the same thing, peeling off of I-49 to go about two or three miles over to get to LeCount and buy a pie at Lee's. What kind of pie? Chocolate, if you're me. But uh, lemon, you name it. Uh, any, other, any variety is available.
0: What's the biggest surprise for your visitor arrivals now that they're not expecting to see? Well, it depends on where they go. I think a visitor
1: to Louisiana who comes to New Orleans for a convention gets what he's expecting. If they venture out into other parts of Louisiana, they're going to be surprised at the natural beauty, I think. The Atchafalaya Basin, uh, the coast of Louisiana, which we're losing at an uh, incredibly alarming rate, but I hope we're on the cusp of doing something about that. But I think just the scenic beauty of Louisiana uh, is something people would notice. And ironically the, the television show Swamp People Duck Dynasty have exposed so many people to what the outdoor life hoping, of the Louisiana I was hoping is like. you were
0: going to mention that. Uh,
1: yeah well you know it's it's been a part it's been a real story to tell with the the film tax credits have have brought a lot of, of sure. um, television productions to Louisiana some good some not so good but these
0: two have been exceptional in terms of introducing people to what Louisiana looks like. Well you know you talk about the movies that have been made there so many different destinations have capitalized on that by creating or crafting tours of those movie locations. Well, that's right, and we're working on the same thing. As a matter of fact, you know the first Tarzan
1: movie ever was filmed in Louisiana <laughs> in 1914. And uh, and I, what I'd like to see done, and we're working on this, is try to put little street uh, markers or or uh, places where you can go for great scenes in movies. Uh, the the uh, Interview with the Vampire movie, for example, and sure. Tom Cruise sitting in that cemetery. And you go see you can go see that too. Oh, that's safe. Uh, right. And and uh, is that right across from Commander's Palace? Is not it? Well, I don't know if it's right. I don't know if is it's that. Is it the St. Louis Cemetery? Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but there are places like that, iconic scenes from movies made in Louisiana is one of the trails I want to see us create. We've got every trail imaginable. We have a culinary trail. We have a, a music trail where you can go to indigenous places across Louisiana to hear the kind of
0: music that you want to hear that's particular to that area. And then if you want to see Italian-Cajun, you just go across the UEP Long Bridge to, to, uh, to, to where? To Moscow. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. The
1: classic. You have been to Louisiana.
0: I uh, have, some classic I have. places like that. The only thing missing there is like you, you want to sit with your back against the wall looking out, yeah. if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yes. I know what you mean. <laughs> right. Everything's sort of like the ghost of Joey Gallagher showing up. Yeah. Know? Right? Well, there's a, le- there's a bit
1: of a legacy of that in Louisiana as well, uh, going yeah. back to the, uh, to the early days in the 20s and 30s of,
0: of exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. So you get a little bit of everything. You do. But promise me this when you do the movie tours of the iconic movies that have been shot there, don't do like, you know, Gone with the Wind and Duck Dynasty. Can yeah. you do me a favor and not do that?
1: <laughs> well, Duck Dynasty is not a movie, so I can make that I, promise you know to exactly you. what I'm saying. I know what you mean. We've got a lot of places that are more like Gone with the Wind than are more like Duck Dynasty.
2: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: Now, if you're thinking about history, uh, in Newport Beach, most people would kind of think, really? Newport Beach has history? Yeah. Believe it or not, they do. And my next guest knows all about that. He's the author of the Newport Beach Centennial. It's its really celebrating a century in this community. But most importantly, right now, he's also the editor of the Newport Beach Independent, Christopher Trella. How are you, man? I'm doing fabulous. And welcome back. You? We last talked about four years ago from we, here. We did, yes. Yeah. And uh, Newport Beach has grown a little bit in the last four years. It's uh, become more beautiful. I mean, I'm reminded every time I come here that I'm sitting here on 500 acres just at the Resort of Pelican Hill. People don't realize what, what that means in California.
5: Especially in Orange County yeah. when there is not that
0: much land. But you're
5: right. This is a beautiful, beautiful resort. They rebuilt this about, almost six years ago now, and it's, it's really become a, a great place to come, whether you're a tourist or a local. What's changed? Um, Well, it's interesting to see the changes. Some, some are subtle. uh, Some are big, obviously, give uh, me a a big one, big change. Um, Well, in the last five years, this is one of the biggest because anybody that used to come to Pelican Hill before this was completely transformed would know Pelican Hill as a sleepy little golf uh, area. And it's now transformed to a world-class resort with some amazing golf courses down there and an amazing view. Uh, so this is one of the things. Um, I think the restaurants have grown tremendously in the last four or five years. Last time we talked, it was about restaurants. Yeah. There have been some... Really terrific restaurants that have come in by uh, some great chefs. Uh, Rick Bayless has opened Red O. uh, Fig and Olive has come in. uh, A number of other restaurants. So the restaurant industry is booming. Uh, People are going out to dine more than ever. Um, But it's interesting to see what people are doing at the beach. Uh, Stand-up paddle boarding is huge now, bigger than it was five years ago.
0: Five years ago, nobody was doing
5: it. No, nobody knew what what the the word SUP was, S-U-P, and now everybody's
0: out there doing it. Are you doing it? I wish I could. I've (laughs) tried and failed. So you tried. I I have, yes. But you know, they they do make a stand-up paddleboard with a wider beam, which allows you to have a center of gravity that can work for you. I want you to know that. I need a sit-down paddleboard, actually. I think that would be the (laughs) best way to go. That reminds me of a wonderful line by the actor, the famous actor Peter Ustinov, who at the beginning of World War II, as as the Germans were beating the hell out of the English, and especially their tank corps. Rommel was just destroying them. He astounded everybody by enlisting in the tank corps. Nobody enlisted in the tank corps because those guys were getting decimated. And the and the draft board called him in. They said, we need to meet with you because we have to understand what, how did this happen. Mr. Ustinov, can you please tell us why did you enlist in the tank corps? And without hesitation, he says, because I prefer to enter battle sitting down. <laughs> There you go. I love that. There you go. All right, so the big change, obviously, the restaurant scene is getting bigger. Everybody but you is stand-up paddleboarding. Exactly. Yeah.
5: Um, uh, but it's, just, uh, it's become a real tourist destination, I think, thanks a lot to the Visitors Bureau here, who's marketing the town overseas. They just got back from England, marketing uh, Newport Beach and the Newport Beach Film Festival uh, to England. And they actually have ads on a lot of the taxis there that say, visit Newport Beach, and it's working. Wow. See, I love the harbor. Oh, the harbor is it, it's, it's one of our main assets here. And, and the, you still have the ferry. Oh, absolutely. Started in 1919, still going strong, which is just amazing. Is that the one that just goes to Balboa? It's a three-minute ride
0: from the Balboa Islands. <laughs> it's still it's a ferry. Come on, it's a three-minute ride, but it's exactly. still
5: fun. But it's, oh, it's beautiful. I love taking the ferry. Any chance I get just because you don't get to do it almost anywhere else, especially in Southern California. It's about the only one I know of.
0: I mean, it is one of the largest recreational harbors on the West Coast. It is uh, nine thousand boats here in, yeah, and counting. Yeah, yeah, but let me talk about California boaters for a second, okay? Because I I live on a boat not far from here in Marina Del Rey. Mm. They have over eight thousand eight hundred boats there. At any given time, I think three go out. Uh, they, they, they they everybody has a boat and they sit on the back and drink. I mean, it's like guys, and maybe it's a good idea that they don't go out. I mean, because they don't know what they're doing. They they. People who own boats out here, most of them, are looking for the turn signal and the handbrake. Mm-hmm. They don't exist, okay?
5: Well, in Newport Harbor, I think there's only a handful that go out except for the Duffy electric boats. Yes. On almost any day, especially in the weekends, that the harbor is just packed with Duffy boats. Yeah. That's what people prefer here because it's easier to steer and hold a glass of wine in one hand. There than we than the go. I
0: knew it. Wine was involved, you see? Absolutely. BUI, Boating Under the Influence, <laughs> of the Newport Beach trademark. Okay, got it. No, but in all seriousness... Every time I come to the Newport Beach Harbor, I have to put two lookouts on the bow because everybody's zipping in front of me on their boats because they're coming out for their one day on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't do it on Saturday. (laughs)
5: Exactly. Stand
0: on the harbor and watch them go crazy. Don't be part of that. Especially during the summer. During the summer that the harbor
5: is is nuts and during the Christmas boat parade. If you're ever on a boat watching the boat parade, it's almost as uh, dangerous as being in in a war practically, but it's a lot lot of fun. Is this the Christmas parade? The Christmas boat parade. Uh, where, where, they, where they light up all the boats? There's about 100 boats that parade around Newport Harbor, but there's hundreds of boats of filled with people that are sitting in the harbor watching the parade. And, those and are the what ones. do they have in their hands? Uh, more than you might imagine. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're having a great time, but that's that's one of the biggest uh, events that we have every year. It brings almost a million people to town over five days. Really? It's, it's, it's tremendous.
2: Toto? we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: Christopher Trella, the editor of the Newport Beach Independent. But now we're joined by his partner in crime, Catherine Del, Catherine?
2: Del Caselli.
0: Del Caselli. Uh, and basically, you're you're really talk about what's not on the brochures, right? You're really talking about what nobody knows about.
2: Yes, that's correct. And we also really go into, you know, people get stuck on menu items that are promoted or, you know, the braised short ribs. Everybody wanted that last season. And um, we really get into what items you might not choose right off the bat you know something that seems a little bit scary or you know not okay g-
0: give me a little bit scary go ahead
2: okay not completely scary but uh <laughs> for red O, I it's a spanish mexican influence restaurant and i would normally never choose to have the filet mignon that's not something i would choose to eat at a mexican flavored you know restaurant i would have the tacos or the enchiladas so i recently tried the flame yon it is on my top three it wow. was phenomenal. The flavors the, there's some Mexican spices. It was cooked. It was juicy. And now that will be what I'm ordering every single time.
5: I barely got a bite of it, so I know I'm <laughs> <too pretty> good.
0: <laughs> but you know, there's there's a lot to be said about menu engineering because it's the dark science of how they actually put items on menus. Because they know about your gazing patterns. They know where your eyes are going to go, and it's always to the upper right hand corner. And and what a lot of chefs have told me is that they will put an item. On the menu, their most expensive item that they don't expect you to order, by the way, in that upper right hand corner, and the item with their largest profit margin that they do want you to order right below it. So you look at that and go, I'm not doing that one, but I'll do that one. So, my advice to everybody, and maybe you'll disagree with me, is when you open a menu, especially a two page menu, right? Go to the lower left hand corner. That's where they bury all the stuff that you might want to buy.
5: That's what I usually do. I go to the left hand column and take a look, and it's usually the appetizers, some of the other types of things that. Can actually, some of the appetizers we've had are more creative than some of the entrees recently. Uh, of course, you know, foie gras back on, on so many menus Oh, we have talked
0: about that earlier <laughs> in the show. I mean, I'm very happy to hear that because I happen to like it. But I'm one of those people who believes now that from a portion control point of view, it's okay to order two appetizers and that could be your meal.
2: Mm-hmm. Which... And that way you get to share with whoever you're dining with and you get to have a bigger variety you know you can try a little bit of this, a little bit of that and you're not, you know, stuffed full.
0: That's the way to do it. Always lower left hand corner. Now they also bury things in the lower left hand corner that you probably don't want like the chicken fingers and the grilled cheese sandwich, but <laughs> but you got to be creative and look over there cuz they don't want you to look there.
5: Um, I, you know, I found that on some of the more traditional uh, old style menus, I guess you could say. Some of the other, the new restaurants are doing maybe a single list of ingredients or our dishes. Um, and, of course, they're all putting ingredients on there now because the ingredients they use are more People exotic. Know. And they do want to know. But
0: then that comes to the area of pricing. And it's interesting to see which, which restaurants actually use actual numer- numbers for dollars or, I mean, for the price. How many use decimal points? How many don't use numbers at all but to spell it out? right? You know, 30, 40.
5: It it doesn't sound quite as extreme when you're... you're And
0: what's the most popular number they use? It's a nine.
5: I was just going to say that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, what's interesting um, that I just found this out from the Newport Beach Restaurant Association talking with them, that I didn't realize that most of the restaurants use a one-third formula so whatever dish costs the actual food costs are about a third of that and the rest of that's all going to service overhead things like that so if you're ordering a dish that's $30 about $10 of that is actual food costs if the restaurant's doing it properly right and I found that very interesting because a lot of people don't know some of the the things that go on behind the scenes well
0: this is one of the reasons why I don't own a restaurant because I'd go broke in a week because I wouldn't know how to price an item and I wouldn't know how to how to market it. I mean, there is a science to it.
5: Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people now, they're looking at what some of the new items that restaurants are are adding to their menus. A lot of people go back for their favorites. But so many people are looking for the new things. And a lot of restaurants, they are revamping their menus three, four five times a year to keep adding
2: items.
0: All right. So, Catherine, give us one of the other than the filet mignon at the, at the Mexican restaurant. Give us one hot new thing that nobody knows about.
2: Um, I would say uh, Leatherby's Cafe Rouge. Uh, they have phenomenal soups. Any of their soups. There's a carrot and lime soup that's phenomenal. And you know, soup is usually a dish that you just, you know, before you actually have your real meal. And this is a meal in itself. They have that. They have their butternut squash and the, the textures and the flavors. It, it's amazing.
5: I have to agree with that. The the, the soups there are something where people come just for that.
2: If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first.
0: If you look in the hotel business and you look at it historically and traditionally, what you find out is most general managers, they show up, they're there for two years, they're rotated out. Goodbye. See you later. Um, I'm not so sure that's such a great idea. Um, Of course, I've seen some hotels where the general manager's been there for 50 years, and that wasn't such a good idea either. But somewhere there's a middle ground because you want someone who really knows it, breathes it, lives it, and my next guest is certainly that. He's the managing director here at the Resort of Pelican Hill, Giuseppe Lama. How are you, sir?
6: Very well, Green
0: Peter. Uh, you, Green Peter? I like that. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> very good. Okay, Lama Giuseppe. <laughs> hey, here's my question for you, because you really cut your teeth at, at a place that uh, is legendary on Lake Como, Villa d'Este. That's correct. A couple of years there. Yeah, family-owned. That's correct. Still is family-owned. Still is. I mean... And, you know, it's one of those things where they're not open 12 months a year, right? They just, they had their season, and that's it. That's it. You know, and they're down the road from from uh, George Clooney. And,
6: that's correct. Uh, I studied in Bellagio, so I know all the drills of Lake Como. And one of the reasons is because the family... Uh, re-attract the same people year after year after year so they come I back thought, they
0: come back they come, they come back. Back.
6: back server cooks busboy butler and front office agent so allows the sense of um, of history so people go back year after year for for centuries and generation after generation
0: now i'll tell you a funny story that, ap- that applies to this hotel mm-hmm. or this resort when you first opened Right, your whole marketing campaign. I, I I was having fun with it because your whole marketing campaign was like we're the five star, five this, five that. Like, right? Absolutely. From the from before you even opened, I said, wait Absolutely. a minute, who gave them these stars? Absolutely. Right? Yes. You did. But here's the good news, you really are now. I mean, you guys actually grew into it. But I was I was worried about you because you started up by saying. We're five stars. You can't be, f- you haven't even opened yet.
6: <laughs> well, you know what the thing is, just two years before open, I joined the company and I was very fortunate that I've uh, that been the, the, the employee number one. So the mantra was possibility of perfection. When you have a resort like ours, 500 acres, golf, spa, dining, it is Wait, the right drive. There.
0: Think about this, folks. In Southern California, 500 acres.
6: Ocean view. Unbelievable. Magnificent. Yeah. With the weather that beats... And, and, that's and I will say that on a day it.
0: like today, which, by the way, that today's the day they have all the planes going up taking the aerial photographs. Because you're looking out the window here at the, from this villa, right. and you're seeing a completely clear view of Catalina it's Island. Yeah.
6: Absolutely. And yeah. that's the beauty about the resort. So we had this weather 335 days a year. So it's very easy for us to attract Cold country, for example, Minnesota (laughs) in the middle. Who would like to be there now? You want to be here, and also internationally. And the villa, one of those that you're here today, is what has been the biggest surprise for us. Villas uh, from 23 to 3300 square feet, attracts family, multi-generational, and international. We want to be that villa of the future, where people come here, after year, after year, and that's where we're poised to be. Okay, so
0: of those 500 acres, let's Mm -hmm. break it down. Mm -hmm. Obviously, golf. That's correct. Right? That's 400. Okay, now I was getting to that go. part.
6: Okay. <laughs> or 380 to be
0: exact. And the other 120? The resort. Right. Mm. So, how many rooms were we talking about?
6: We had 332 rooms, but you really can't really say that because 128 of those are villas. Two, three, four bedrooms. The beauty about the resort, nothing above you, nothing below you. So, we have those bungalows scattered along four different streets, each one with Bellagio e Como. And then you have this magnificent villa. So everything is overlooked the ocean. So it really is a resort that is unique for that exact reason. You pepper those beautiful accommodation with full full restaurant, two world-class golf courses, and the four, five-star spa. And a thousand employee along the way, by the way, that have been with me for a very long time now, almost eight years. So a thousand
0: employees, That's correct. only 330 rooms. That's correct. So you could make the claim that it's a three-to-one ratio.
6: That's absolutely correct. And you know what? Uh, well, By the way, I
0: failed math. Did I do okay on that You did one? great, okay. sir. Okay.
6: <laughs> but, you know, it goes back to the your, your original question. Do you want to be really the world class? Absolutely. Do you want to serve the best of the best in the international market? Absolutely. What you do, do two things. You need to have passion and commitment. If you teach your employee from all walk of life, Passion and commitment, doesn't matter where they come from, they will be delivered to the level of Plus, there's
0: one other thing that you benefit from, because if anybody flies here, they've already been so beaten up by the airline, that by the time they land, if you just say hello, they marry you.
6: <laughs> well, you know, great point. We are 22 minutes away from John Wayne, and yeah. you know what, they added a new terminal, direct flight to New York, the Dallas and Chicago, and uh, in the, uh, starting very soon from southwest from Mexico City. So we're we, we, we really very fortunate. We are very lucky to have such a great destination.
0: And the bottom line is, in a service economy, you don't excel when you deliver the service, you also excel when you recover.
6: Key, fundamental. See, it's not how many times you do it right, it's how do you conquer their heart when something goes south. And everyone that got my name, my name, my email, we respond to the all the social media, we are very, very much engaged in that, because it's, you know, you're so right, you've been in the business a long time, Pizza, <laughs> you know the deal.
0: You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new
2: location somewhere around the world.
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.